Welcome to Riders Report, the podcast. Ball game. Strike three called. Forget it. Way out of here. Here are your hosts, Zach Bigley and David Kosadar. Hello and welcome in to episode two of Riders Report, the podcast. My name is Zach Bigley, joined as always by David Kosadar, and we are getting ready for the season. Opening day, May 4th, is coming up very, very soon as the Rough Riders will face off with the Midland Rockhounds, and Oakland Athletics affiliate. And, man, we just keep getting closer and closer, and at some point it seems like uh, it's going to come, but it still feels like a long ways away in some aspects as well. That's usually the case, uh, although this year we had a little bit longer of a wait than normal. <laughs> so that probably just adds to the anticipation, but you're correct. It definitely, if nothing else, looks like baseball's coming if you just took a walk around the ballpark today. Yeah, it certainly does. And hopefully the weather will, will start to shine just a little bit better. It's a little overcast. It's going to rain later on today, but we really hope that we're going to have gorgeous weather for opening day. I think we will. You know, what's funny about uh, past years is getting an April start you know, say April showers bring May flowers. We get probably most of our rain delays and, and postponements in April. So I'm I'm optimistic that we'll get most of that out of the way this year and we just head into beautiful weather starting in May. Perfect. I love it. Uh, and you have uh, you have the phone number of the baseball gods, right? So you'll you'll make yes. it happen. Speed dial, of course. <laughs> All right, perfect. Well, we have a really fun podcast for you here in episode two. We have our introduction of Jared Gettert, the manager for the Frisco Rough Riders. Here, not only is it his first time with the Rough Riders, but it's also his first managerial position. Yeah, it's been fun to watch his progression. When we look at the minor leagues, we think about the players and how they go from level to level and eventually make it to the big show. But we we forget that or it's easy to forget, rather, that applies to the managers. They're trying to make their way up to the big show as well, and, and he's been in several different levels prior to Frisco within the Ranger system, so it's nice to see him quote-unquote graduate. So I'm happy for him, and I'm uh, very optimistic this will be a great year for him as well. It will. In addition to that interview, we also have Victor Rojas, the president and general manager for the Rough Riders here on the podcast, and he's pretty good with a headset on with his almost two decades in the broadcast booth in Major League Baseball, and he got to join us, and that was a really fun interview talking about what he's excited for, a little bit about his time in baseball with the Angels, and uh, just kind of general stuff with the season. So two really fun interviews coming up later on on the podcast. Well, we have a reoccurring segment on the podcast. It's Theodore Roosevelt Trivia Time. Of course, being the Frisco Rough Riders, you have Teddy Roosevelt, of course, as our logo. you got to get some Teddy trivia in there, and I – Personally, am really excited for this question here today because I think it's pretty unique. Coast, uh, you got the one last week correct. Yes, one for one. So we're looking to keep the streak alive. You feeling pretty confident heading in? Probably overconfident, if nothing else. <laughs> All right, so here's the question. We'll give you the answer at the end of the podcast. Roosevelt had an accident when he was in the White House and ended up being blind in one eye. How did he end up being blind in that one eye? Was it A, fencing? Was it B, boxing? Was it C, he was poked in the eye by his youngest son, Quentin? Or was it D, a horseback riding accident? Well, as a former kickboxer myself and, and current standing black belt in kung fu, Ooh. I'm prime and prone, I should say, to the, the boxing example. I'm fairly confident I remember hearing that in uh, not necessarily history class, but anecdotally somewhere else. And that clicked with me because I've, I've been in a boxing ring before and I have boxing gloves at home and a bag and all that fun stuff. So the boxer in me is voting boxing. Final answer. And we'll wait till the end of the podcast to figure out if he's right. Maybe. Edge of our seats. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see. We'll, we'll certainly see. Well, we have, uh, as mentioned, those two fun interviews. Let's get you the first one and Jared Getter, the manager for the Frisco Rough Riders. Welcome back to Riders Report, the podcast. We are very happy to be joined for the first time here in the 2021 season by Jared Getter, the manager for the Frisco Rough Riders. Jared, thanks for joining us. Zach, I'm pumped to be here. So this is obviously going to be a very fun season with the Rough Riders, but I think we're all just very excited to have baseball back. Obviously, the major leagues are going right now, but the minor league season is coming up very soon. How excited are you just to have baseball back in your life? I think I'm just like everybody else in the country and that um, getting back to baseball is, you know, a return to normalcy um, as much as possible. And for that and a a number of other reasons, I'm – very excited to get back. The Rangers organization has been home for you for the last few years, but this is your first time stopping here in double a Frisco. What have you heard about Frisco? What kind of things are you excited for? I mean, I've heard honestly, nothing but good things um, from the fan support, the ballpark, you know, the atmosphere, the area, the Texas league in general, getting to play in Texas and how, uh, closer proximity is to, to Arlington, you name it. Um, it's nothing but good things. When you look at your career, you had a very interesting career, moved to Concordia, Kansas, when you were just five years old. What was the baseball culture like in Kansas? Um, that's a good question. Um, I didn't know any different. So it seemed, you know, like a, a big, uh, baseball hotbed, I guess, if you will. But um, no, it was good. I mean, I was fortunate in that baseball has kind of always been um, in my blood and in my background because my dad played uh, junior college and then played baseball at K-State himself. And so from my earliest memories, you know, I was either playing baseball with him or my mom taught elementary school. So she'd be throwing me wiffle balls in the driveway when she had the summers off um, in those early years. So Baseball's uh, always been in my background. Grew up in a uh, small town in Concordia, like you mentioned, and um, was fortunate to get to be on um, some teams that had some success there in North Central Kansas and kind of always, you know, had a, I think, had a passion because I got to have those opportunities early on in my life. On to junior college and then on to Kansas State. When you were there, how, how was the program and how did it kind of prepare you for minor league baseball as well? My two years at K-State, I was fortunate that uh, Coach Hill had just taken over. So I transferred there in my sophomore year and Coach Hill had taken over the program the year prior. And so it was it was definitely a rebuild at that time. Um, so we took our lumps for sure, uh, especially in conference play. But um, I think because of that, it helped in kind of everything that went into fall ball and fall practice and this, the challenges of the spring Big 12 season uh, it helped prepare me for professional baseball, minor league baseball, and it was mentally challenging. Physically, it took a toll, but both of those things are so important, and you need to kind of have tightened up in pro ball. And so, in hindsight or in retrospect, it was I couldn't ask for better preparation from the coaches I had in college, uh, the Big Twelve schedule, um, being one of the bottom teams. You know, unfortunately, those couple of years that I was at K State, but as far as kind of preparing me for what to expect and try to, you know, hopefully have success in pro ball. I was lucky with that background. The Indians came calling out of high school and then again out of K-State. 
Do you remember where you were or what happened when you got drafted in the ninth round? Yeah. So I was actually, I wasn't sure. I was hopeful, you know, I was hopeful that you know, I would be drafted and I talked to a handful of teams, but you don't take anything like that for granted or, you know, you don't um, want to put the, the cart in front of the horse there. So I had actually re or recommitted to the summer ball team that I was with the year before. It was the Hayes Larks. Had a good good season there between my sophomore and junior year and great experience overall with the coaches there and some of my teammates there. So the draft wasn't until about a week into that season. So I had packed up my car and uh, moved, moved out to Hayes again. And we were on our way to uh, play Dodge City, actually. I think it was our first doubleheader of the season. And my phone rang and it was uh, a scout with, with the Indians. So we're going to take you in the ninth round. So it was kind of a, I'd like to say I had some awesome story where I was with my family and friends at home, but I was actually on a, I think on a van with some Lark's teammates uh, on I-7 or I think it'd be I-7. Anyway, heading out West to Western Kansas. And I played in, played in doubleheader that night. So. Wow. After you got drafted. Yeah. I played in a doubleheader that I think, I think he said, just, yeah, you can play. Don't get hurt. You know, I was like, okay. So, <laughs> but yeah, that was my played that night. And then, um, Ended up driving back to Concordia, packed up and drove back to Concordia the next day to, you know, talk with talk with my family and, and then meet more formally with with the scout. So, in your minor league career, you made a lot of stops, mostly in the Indians organization, but later in Pittsburgh and Toronto's organizations as well. But do you have some favorite memories from your time in minor league baseball? Yeah, a lot of good, um, a lot of good teammates and guys that I'm friends with to this day. Um, and especially growing up in, in, you know, smaller town, Kansas, you don't get exposed to, to a ton, you know, and, and I never, so when I, so funny story, when I, um, ended up then signing and I was assigned to Mahoning Valley, um, I think I had been to mass, the state of Massachusetts one time when I was very little, but outside of that, I had, Ohio was the furthest I had gone, uh, gone east so that may as well have been Europe you know at, at that point in my life to me so um and then traveling around up in the northeast and in the New York Penn League you know playing with teammates who are literally from around the world so just kind of that exposure um and kind of once in a you know lifetime opportunity to, to get to have those experiences travel on a bus go through the grind of the season with those guys from all different backgrounds a ton of great coaches, ton of great coordinators, and, that, and, and honestly, nothing but good memories overall um, in my time with the Indians organization. So after you retired from minor league baseball in 2014, you went back to Kansas State to finish your degree, and then it was kind of just staying out of baseball for you. But something very interesting happened, started at, starting at a Chipotle, where uh, a bunch of events happened, and then all of a sudden, you're with the Rangers organization. Could you kind of tell that story and how that all unfolded? Yeah, sure. So good, good research. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. So I, I actually just got a phone call with a guy and I was talking about this, how he was talking about a job outside of baseball. I said, you know, I've been fortunate to not, not have to have what I would call quote a real job to this point in my life. I've got to get to be a player for a number of years and then been fortunate to be able to coach ever since then. But yeah, so finished playing in 2014 and, uh, Went back, had a year left to, 
to get my degree at K-State, um, re-enrolled for this fall of 15, spring of 16, and fully embraced that. I was, you know, I was kind of the old strange guy in class, but I, I didn't care, shameless about it, and embraced the, the college experience, signed up for, you know, intramural flag football, basketball, did all those things. So, but during that year, I did, I, I was in line at Chipotle, and I bumped into a, a teammate from K-State who, so since then, my wife and I had moved to Manhattan, Kansas, where K-State is, and bumped in an old teammate. We were catching up, and one of the things he was doing was uh, he was running a baseball program there in town and coaching a 16-year-old team. And uh, he said, you know, hey, if you're around, I'd love to have you help coach. I said, sure. You know, I, 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 I can't commit to the weekends, basically, because I've, I've missed every weekend family, friend function for the past, you know, decade or so. So I, I, I need to leave my weekends open now. Um, but I could come help with practices. And if there are weekend terms I can go to, I would love to. So, well, the one tournament that I was able to go to that summer was at TCU. And we just happened to stay. Um, we just happened to stay right across from the, the ballpark in Arlington there. And some of the parents, one of the nights that we had free, wanted to go to the Rangers games because the Rangers were in town. And I remember I had a, a contact with the Rangers or from the, my Indians days early on when I was initially drafted with them that is now um, actually one of, one, of, one of my bosses here with the Rangers. So just reached out to him and we ended up talking baseball, had a good, uh, had a really good conversation, you know, led to an interview out here that instructional league um, about a fourth coach role the, the following season in Spokane and you know, talked to my wife about it. She was, she was at that point more ready for me to be home <laughs> most of the year than, but, you know, we talked it over and I thought it'd be foolish not to, you have this opportunity in front of me not to be, or be foolish to not take advantage of it. So yeah, it's kind of a, I mean, I think that that's life and it's kind of crazy how things work out. And I know it's cliche to to say this, but I, it is a genuine thought as I, I take things a year at a time, especially in this game. So especially at that time, I thought, you know what? I, I do feel like, I, I hope that there were things from my playing experience that I could pass on, especially to the younger players. And I'd be foolish not to, to try to do that at least for that season and then kind of reevaluate and see how it went from there. Jared Getter, the manager for the Frisco Rough Riders, our guest. Thank you so much. And uh, we really look forward to having you out in Frisco. Thank you, Zach. I'm looking forward to it as well. Welcome back to Riders Report, the podcast, as we sat down with Jared Getter, the manager for the Rough Riders. Let's get you our second interview of the podcast. It's president and general manager, Victor Rojas. We are very happy to be joined by a very special guest. It's Victor Rojas. He's the president and general manager for the Frisco Rough Riders. And uh, I don't know, you haven't had a headset on in a little while. You feeling a little nervous? A little nervous, and I'm wondering if this is a podcast, if I get a gift card to a certain restaurant around here. Have you got this thing sponsored yet? Uh, Coast. <laughs> We're working on it. <laughs> No, we are very happy to have uh, Victor Rojas here on the podcast. And uh, as we're ramping things up with the season, we're getting closer. And we have, a, obviously, a laundry list of things to do, but getting more and more excited, especially being up here in the booth and looking out at the field. It, it's no doubt about it. I mean, 12 days before we get going, uh, you know, I don't know when we're going to post this, but uh, on May 4th, opening day is going to come. And, uh, and just like most minor league teams, most major league teams, as they get ready for a season, there's probably going to be – 
more and more fires as we get closer and closer to opening day that you've got to put out. But that's just kind of the nature of the business. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm very excited. I, didn't, I really haven't watched much Major League Baseball and because uh, I've been focused on, on the minor league side of things and getting this ballpark and the crew ready to go for May 4th. We've talked about this a little bit, but you have previous GM experience, but it's been a couple decades being in, in the broadcast booth. And now that you're back in that seat, what is the, the main difference look like for you from back in the early 2000s to, to being a GM now? And what's it like? Well, in, in it, in Newark, in the Atlantic League, it was a little different just because it was independent baseball. And so, therefore, I was responsible for putting a team together. And there'd be a number of times where you'd be in a in, a, in the middle of a game and your shortstop pulls up lame, he's got a bad hamstring, and you automatically switch to, i got to find a shortstop for tomorrow night's game, you know, and try to pull off a trade or have a, a tryout or something to that effect. So that, that obviously is certainly different. The, uh, the nomenclature has changed a little bit, but at the end of the day, the uh, selling the event and selling entertainment and minor league baseball all pretty much rolls the same way. Uh, so it's kind of exciting uh, to kind of be back in, in that minor league fold. With so many things looking, we're looking forward to for this season, obviously just to have baseball back in general is going to be exciting. But what kind of things are you most excited for fans of the Frisco Rough Riders to see this year? Well, really, just to be able to get back in the ballpark. September 2019 was the last time they were really here for, for a Rough Rider game. And uh, I know a lot of fans that we've had a chance to speak with over the last couple of weeks, that uh, they're excited about kind of getting back out to the ballpark and you know kind of return to some sort of normalcy. Uh, as far as baseball is concerned and being outside and getting a chance to, to take in this venue and the like. And I'm sure there's some, some trepidation on a lot of people's parts for different reasons, uh, whether it's uh, for us, for, for fans, uh, you know, the, the mask mandate, whatever the case may be, there's just going to be uh, nuances that we all have to kind of just deal with and roll with. And um, I think that's just uh, considering everything – that everyone has gone through over the last 13, 14 months, uh, I think it'll be a nice welcome surprise and a distraction to to walk through the gates and see the beautiful field that Diamond Dave has put together and <laughs> finally seeing the, uh, the Rough Riders uh, take the field. For those of you who don't know your past in the broadcast booth for, for almost 20 years, especially with the Angels over the last decade, and you had a front row seat to one of the best players the game has ever seen in Mike Trout. What are some of your favorite Mike Trout memories? Man, there's so many of them. Uh, I got a chance to watch him come up as a kid and, and, and really uh, displace Torrey Hunter, uh, who had to go <laughs> play right field so, so they could make room for Trout in center field. Uh, it's funny because one, one of Torrey's favorite quotes back then was he reminds me of a young me, and Torrey never ran that fast. <laughs> He's a great defender and everything and loved him, but he was just a, a different animal. I mean, you know, Trout, even when he first got to the big leagues, he looked like a linebacker. Uh, the way he ran uh, was he ran like the wind. I've never seen anything like that as far as the combination of, of what he brought to the table on a daily basis and you know, some of the things he's been able to accomplish already in such a, a brief time and the MVP awards and the second-place finishes and, and the like. It's unfortunate that it, the Angels have not been able to get to the postseason other than the one time that they did in his career. And um, I think that's what he's looking forward to, to trying to accomplish in Southern California at some point. And, uh, but he is a special player, probably the, one of the best players I've ever seen uh, you know, put on a baseball uniform. Victor, you had uh, mentioned Torrey Hunter, and he was out here a few weeks ago uh, for the Diamond Classic that we had. And seeing you two together, you look like old college roommates, it's just catching <laughs> up like you hadn't missed a beat. Looking back at your broadcast career and all the players you saw, are you going to miss some of the relationships that you had developed, and what, what were some of the special uh, unique connections you were able to make with some of those players? Yeah, there's no doubt about it, Dave, that 
you know, uh, I, I've never been because I grew up in the game and in the clubhouse. I was never. Even when I got into the broadcasting side, I was never one of those guys that liked to hang out in the clubhouse. I never went to the clubhouse. I think in my 11 years with the Angels, I went to the clubhouse one time, and that was only because I was doing a Q&A luncheon, and Tim Mead, our VP of PR, told us we're meeting in the clubhouse before we walk upstairs. <laughs> that's it. Uh, I've always felt that that's just the players' and coaches' domain. I didn't want to encroach on their time, and, and if I need anything, I could get it by the dugout as they come out to stretch or for batting practice. So – you know, those relationships for me were really built more so away from the field and uh, from any number of players. I mean, I go back to my first year in the big leagues doing the broadcasting with the Diamondbacks. Luis Gonzalez, one of the all-time great guys, uh, just a sweetheart of a person and family man and always enjoyed my conversations with him. And Albert Pujols of late has just been tremendous to, to deal with. And I remember when, when Albert joined the Angels at – uh, Dan McLaughlin, the voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, you know, was just telling me you know, some of the moods that Albert could get into, and at least that he, that he did with St. Louis, and I never saw it. Uh, and maybe it's because, you know, as you get older, you become wiser, you become cognizant of the things that you say and the people you're around and how you, you treat them. And um, fortunate for, for me and, and my family, he's been nothing but, but wonderful. So, yeah, I'll, I'll miss some of that stuff, but I'm still, you know, the people that I'm closest with, I'm still in contact, you know, Tori, uh, is it a perfect example? You know, Trouty was really super nice when I made the announcement back in January, and uh, via text, and, and Albert, and any number of players that uh, I've had chance to to kind of stay in touch with. Especially even go back to the Rangers days. You know, reaching out to Ian Kinsler about throwing out our first pitch on May fourth. He, he, you know, he can't wait to come out here, and it's just it's nice to have that type of relationship. He's Victor Rojas, President and General Manager for the Frisco Rough Riders. And, Victor, thanks for joining us. We're looking forward to May 4th. My pleasure, guys. Don't screw it up. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do our best. <laughs> and we're back. It's Riders Report, the podcast, getting you set for May 4th, opening day here in Frisco. We can't be more excited. We have back-to-back -back series from May 4th to May 9th. We welcome in the Midland Rockhounds, the Oakland Athletics affiliate, and then Corpus Christi comes to town from May 11th through May 16th. And they're a uh, Houston Astros affiliate, of course, and really exciting to have back-to-back series or one homestand that was kind of an argument around the office which which way do you go do you call it a homestand or a or two series so it took me a while to to sort through this and i think i can empathize with either longtime fans or longtime staff that when we look at the schedule you have the red blocks and red block always denoted homestand yeah because when when that last home game was played yes there's a series going on, but when that last home game was played they'd go on the road. And if they played two teams in that series, there was never a break in the day they would go on the road. Now, that said, the structure is different this year. Yep. We know it's always going to be Tuesday to Sunday is a series, and Monday is an off day for travel. Not necessarily for every team, but for the teams that have to go somewhere else. So that said, in that first two weeks, I, I would say we have a homestand with two series. But it took me a little bit to train my brain that way because our <laughs> schedule would always say when, when those red blocks ended, the team went on the road. So this is new. I, I can I really can't recall any instance where we had two series at home with just one day in between. So that's where I, I think we can give a, a little bit of leeway to folks that call it two home stands. Yeah, and now it's become the norm. Yes. And it, for me, it's pretty simple. I think that anytime the team does not leave the city of Frisco, it's a home stand. So it doesn't matter how many days off there are in between, it's still a home stand. 
uh, it's it's denoted by what the team actually does travel-wise. But either way, we do have well, 12 games in 13 days, and we're looking forward to that. And you can get your tickets on ridersbaseball.com. You can call the ticket office as well. There's plenty of people standing by waiting for your calls and excited to get you out here at uh, at the ballpark. It's going to be a lot of fun. For that first 12-game homestand. Yeah, exactly. Homestand. <laughs> All right, we've reached that point in the podcast where we get our answer to the trivia question. Just to remind you, here is that trivia question. Roosevelt was blinded in one eye after an accident when he was in the White House. How did he get blinded in one eye? Was it A, fencing? Was it B, boxing? Was it C, he was poked in the eye by his youngest son, Quentin? Or was it D, a horseback riding accident? I also want to point out, I was poked in the eye by my youngest daughter, Emily, when she was about two months old, <laughs> and it resulted in a scratch cornea, really? and I had, to, I had to go to the eye doctor and everything, so now, whenever she comes at me with, with any kind of a pointy object, I, like, cover my eyes, because I don't <laughs> trust her. She's three now, and she's probably even more dangerous than she was as an infant, uh, so that's the other one I can empathize with, but I'm sticking with boxing, okay. because I know he boxed in the White House. I know he had boxing equipment there. I know that was one of his hobbies. As I reiterated at the, at the beginning of the, the show, that's one of my hobbies. So that's what I'm going with. Final answer, boxing. You are correct, sir. Two, two for two. two. Woo, batting a thousand. All right. He was in a boxing injury while in the White House, and he became blind in one eye. And the craziest thing, he was the youngest president when he was elected, just 42 years old. So he lived till he was 60. That's a pretty long time to live by being blind in one eye. And he still went on like African safaris and all these adventures after he left the White House too. So uh, did a lot with just one eye. It's pretty impressive for Roosevelt. That is impressive. If I had to make a short list of presents that I can get a time machine to hang out with, he'd, he'd be one of them. Exactly. There's, and so his youngest son, Quentin, was a bit of a troublemaker. I added that in there just to see if I could kind of sure. throw you off with some sure. detail. But uh, one of my favorite stories from his son, Quentin, was he once had this super important meeting in the Oval Office with uh, a bunch of... Uh, you know, big time cabinet members. And there are all these senators who are waiting out in the waiting room outside to come in after that big meeting. Well, his son, Quentin, came in with roller skates on and they had all these animals throughout the White House. So Quentin came in carrying three massive king snakes and he rolled in and he was like, oh, this is so cool. But hey, this is a really important meeting. So go show the senators waiting outside your snakes. And so he went out and then all the snakes got loose, and so all the senators were like trying to grab these snakes that were rolling around the White House. So Quentin was quite the troublemaker. Wow. But uh, what an interesting presidency for Absolutely. for Teddy Roosevelt. We'll explore that as we keep going here on the Writers Report, the podcast. But this was episode two. This has been fun. Yeah, it's uh, only going to get better from here. Exactly. May fourth, opening day. We look forward to having you out here at the ballpark. And uh, if you want to get your tickets, of course, go to writersbaseball.com. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast, like, and review. It'll help us out. Let us know what you think. We'll keep coming at you with more Riders Report, the podcast content, all throughout the 2021 season. For David Kostinar, my name is Zach Bigley. We'll talk to you next time on Riders Report, the podcast.